Okay, wonderful. Well, as you should know by now, uh, we are in a preaching series looking at the life of David, um, which has been wonderful to do. David, uh, one of the greatest men in Scripture, uh, but David, a story of the warts and all of a follower of God. We see David's successes, we see his triumphs, we see his weaknesses, and we see his failures. It really is a kind of a, a warts and all story, uh, the life of David. Uh, and I do say this every week, but it's important to remember that David is a shadow of one greater to come. David, the shepherd boy, is a shadow of Jesus, the perfect good shepherd. And David, the king, as we saw last week, he's just become king of Israel. He is but a shadow of Jesus, the perfect king of kings and lord of lords. Really quick recap where we're up to in the story, uh, what's going on in the life of David. So right back at the beginning, Israel wanted a king. That was King Saul. But Saul disobeyed God. So Samuel, the prophet Samuel, was sent and anointed a shepherd boy called David to be the king of Israel. But there was a period where David had to wait, a long period where he was anointed as the king, but he had to wait until he fulfilled that role of being king of Israel. He had to flee his life. Saul was jealous, Saul was envious, and Saul wanted to kill him. Finally, after 20 years of waiting, Saul dies. But even then, as we looked last week, David doesn't directly become king of Israel. He becomes king of Judah and has to wait another seven and a half years before he becomes the king of Israel. Finally, though, Finally, David is king of Israel. He unites the nation. He unites the 12 tribes. He defeats all of Israel's enemies. The Philistines are defeated. All of Israel's enemies are defeated. And he brings the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, into Jerusalem. This is a time of peace. This is a time where Israel and David are enjoying the blessings of God. It's a time when his family is content. It's a time when the nation is happy and blessed. This is the high point of David's reign. So it's in this context of everything going well, of the nation being blessed, that we're going to read 2 Samuel 7 verses one to 17. And the title of today's message is, When God Says No. So we're going to pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 7. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan, he was the prophet, replied to the king, whatever you have in your mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, 
Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, who I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. God sometimes says no. So this is what's happened. Everything is good in the nation of Israel. No more battles, a time of great peace, a time of great tranquility. David stops. David chills. But his mind is still active. You know, like when you're on holiday and you're by the swimming pool, but you can't stop thinking about work because your mind is still active. So everything is peaceful in the land, but David's mind is still active. And he thinks of the ark. He thinks of the ark which houses the presence of God. And this has just been brought into the city of Jerusalem and placed in a tent. And in verse 2, he read it, he says, here am I living in this grand palace made of cedar, this beautiful, opulent palace. Here am I with all the best furnishes while the ark of God, the ark of the presence of God is housed in a tent. Surely that's not right. So David says, right, I've got this great idea. I'm going to build a beautiful a permanent building that will be full of splendor, the best craftsmanship, because I want God to dwell in that place, to dwell in a temple. Now listen, this is a good idea. 
This is a good idea with good intentions. From what we know, Scripture doesn't say anything that there are any bad motives or ulterior motives that David has. This is a good idea. This is a good thought that he has. But this is very important. Not all good ideas are God ideas. This isn't a sin issue. There's nothing that David has done wrong here. But some dreams and some ideas that we have are not from God. Some are and some are not. So in verse 4 to 7, God says no to David. God says to David, look, you are not the one to build a temple. It's actually Solomon, his son, who ends up doing it. But, but what he says, what, what David says is, no, this is not, this is what God says, sorry, is this is not the right time. The ark is fine. The ark is serving its purpose. I don't want you to spend your time building a temple. God says no to David. Now, I don't know because we're not specifically told, but I think David might have been a little bit hard done by. You think, oh, it's a bit unfair. A bit un- Why? Well, God, it's a good idea, isn't it? My, my intentions are good. Surely it's a good thing. But the answer is still no. So I wonder, has this ever happened to you? Has it happened to you that you've had these great plans These good ideas, it seemed good. And you know what? You shared it with other people. And it seemed good to them too. Maybe you were even encouraged to do what you thought was right. But God says no. So I want to help you here. Three truths, three things to help you. Three things to hold on to when God says no. Firstly, when you look back, you'll see God's reasons. No can mean different things. No can sometimes mean that God wants to do a work in you. Maybe, just maybe in your life, everything has been a bit too easy. Everything has gone well. Everything you put your mind to, your hand to, has gone very well. And so God is saying, well, okay, will you trust me when the answer's no? How will you respond when the answer's no? I want to deepen your trust and your faith in me. I want to stretch you. I want to mold you. I want to shape you. God says, there's work I want to do in you. Or maybe the no is that God wants to refine your character. Let let me share with you how this played out in my life. So from a young age, I felt God called me or spoke to me about leading a church. Uh, I went to university, studied history, trained to be a teacher, and had a lovely, wonderful time being a teacher for seven and a half years. Absolutely loved that. Now, during that time, right at the end of that time of, of, of being a teacher, before I then went to work for a church in Bethnal Green, I was told by uh, the church leadership at the time, well, Mark, you will become an elder very soon, and this is a good plan, and this will, will fit your calling, and, and everything seemed to be great. Become an elder. That's what I feel called to do. Work full-time for the church. Yeah, my, my path, my plan is, is laid out in front of me. 
But about six months later, I was told, no, it's not right for you to be an elder just yet. Not the right time. You're not ready. There's things that, that aren't quite right that you need to get sorted, that you need to work out in your life first. And I'll be honest with you, that was a real painful time. It hurt my pride. I was very disappointed. I struggled with that. My identity was wrapped up in it. And so, so there was so much to kind of unpack. And did I really trust God for what he had for me? And in that time, God did a huge amount in my life and developed my character. The interesting thing is, a few years later, was when me and Jen planted Hope Church. And was I completely ready to do that? Was I completely sorted with all my inadequacies? No. But I was in a far better place. And also, I was not tied to the church that I was at and was free to then plant Hope Church. So looking back, I can see God wanted to refine my character. He wanted to change and do things deep within me. So when we look back, we can see that a no is often a good thing because God has issues to resolve in our characters. And the final thing about looking back is we often see the timing of God when we look back. We, we can think it's such a good idea, but it can be a good idea. It can be even a God idea, but it can be the wrong time. The wrong time. The story of Joseph, which we looked at at the beginning of this year, is full of examples where Joseph had the right idea, but his timing was way off. He had the dream. He had the right idea of his brothers all bowing down to him. He had that, but he didn't express it at the right time. He didn't express it in the right way. So when we look back, we can see God's hand on our life. The thing about scripture is we can see the beginning, the middle, and the end. We know the end of the story. We can see how things play out. At the time, it can be hard to see. When we live our own story, it can be hard to see the timing of God. But when we look back, we can see the hand of God. So when God says no, hold on. Hold on to the fact. And secondly, hold on to the fact that God has better plans for you. This is wonderful. This is, this is beautiful. God's plans for David were much better than David's plans for God. You see, David wanted to build a temporary structure. He wanted to build a temple. But God wanted David to have a permanent, everlasting dynasty. Verses 12 to 13 talks of a Davidic covenant that the seed of the Messiah, Jesus, would come through the house of David. Matthew 1 verse 1, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The genealogy in Matthew's gospel is very clear that Jesus, the son of God, was a descendant of David. Blind Bartimaeus on the road shouts out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. You see, in those verses 12 to 13, we read there the promise 
given to David that is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. That he wouldn't build a temporary temple for the presence of God. No, 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 no. So much better than that. So much more wonderful than that. That through the line of David, there would be an eternal king, Jesus, who would come, who would rule and reign, who would defeat sin, who would defeat death and would reign evermore. So listen, when God says no, he has better plans for you and I. And thirdly, this whole question of what to do when God says no, it all comes down to who is in charge. When Nathan the prophet brings the word of God to David to not build a temple, David has a choice. His choice is very simple. Does he submit to God's authority? Or just as Saul did, does he ignore God's word and go his own way? Now, God is sovereign. The Bible tells us God is in charge. Will you or I fully understand God's ways this side of eternity? No, I don't believe we will. Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9, for, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, David understood very little what was going on. He didn't understand that he would be in the line that would be Jesus, that would be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I don't think he fully understood that. But he understood enough to say, God has spoken. I will abandon my own plans, and I will put God in control, and I will be obedient to him. This question of who is in charge of our life, who do we place in charge in our life, becomes so very real when God says no. Do you, when God says no, then reach over and take hold of the steering wheel and drive in the way that you want to be driven? You see, we are selfish, proud, kind of stubborn people. And we struggle when God says no. Listen to this true story, genuine true story, of a radio conversation between a U.S. naval ship and Canadian authorities off the coast of Newfoundland in 1995. I'm not going to try the American accent, but I kind of almost tempted to, but I'm not going to. Okay, the, the U.S. ship says, please divert your course 15 degrees north to avoid a collision. The Canadian authorities come back, recommend you divert your course 50 degrees south to avoid collision. U.S. ship, this is the captain of the U.S. naval ship. I say again, divert your course. Canadian authorities, no. I say again, divert your course. U.S. ship commander, this is the aircraft carrier, U.S. Lincoln. The second largest ship in the U.S. Atlantic fleet. We have three destroyers, three cruisers, and many, many support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north or countermeasures will be taken. 
Canadian authorities. We are a lighthouse. You're cool. <laughs> you see, when God says no, the question is, who is in charge? So sometimes God says no. Second thing I want to point out is this. God does not call everyone to build temples. This is really important. Verse 8 to 9 of the passage we read, it's very clear that God says to David, look, I called you, David, to be the ruler, the king of Israel. And, and I've called you to defeat the enemies of Israel. In other words, David, you are called and gifted to be a leader and a soldier, not a builder. You are not to build the temple. You are to fight battles. That is what I have called you to do. You are to rule the nation. You are to fight battles. This is really important because God has all types of creative ways that he has called to use each and every one of you. We are not the same. We are not the same. The people sitting in front of you, behind you, beside you, you are different. You have different callings. You have different things that God has gifted you with to use in this world. And there's a danger sometimes that we think, oh, I need to be a church leader. Oh, I, I need to be a missionary. Oh, oh I, I need to start up this new ministry at church. No, we are to be free to be who God called us to be. I think of it like this. When you become a Christian, you get given a gift. And we're coming up to Christmas, you can think of, of gifts that are packaged. And you see, the thing about when you get the gift that you receive from becoming a Christian is we don't receive the same gift in terms of the same package. You have a unique shaped gift that God has given you that is based on your gifts and your talents and your abilities. And God says, look, I want you to open that gift and I want you to run with that gift. I want you to run with your talents and run with your abilities because you are not all called to build temples. We want lawyers who are Christians, accountants who are Christians, businessmen and women of God. We want musicians who are Christians, sportsmen who are Christians, filmmakers and, and technology experts and entrepreneurs and artists who are called to be Christians. God has different callings for each one of us. David was not called to do everything. He was called to be king and soldier, to lead and to fight. That was what God called him to do. And just, just to kind of help you here, we can so get caught up in the, oh, I've got to build temples, build temples, build temples. When the vast majority of us, God has called us to go out into the world and rule and reign. Go out into the world and be salt and light. Go out into the world and, and fight God's battles out there with the authority that he has given you, with the light of Christ that you have inside of you. Different callings 
for each and every one of us. We are not all called to build temples. Okay, finally. You say, okay, Mark, so God sometimes says no. And we're not all called to build temples. Well, how do I respond when I get that knockback? How do I respond when I receive that no? Let's read on in 2 Samuel 7, and we can learn from David, because David does this so well. How do you respond when God says no, when it happens to you? We'll read from verse 18 to the end of the chapter, picking up where we, where we pause, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, and to make a name for himself, and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods before your people? whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your own forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise that you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. How do you respond when this happens to you, when God says no? What does David do very first thing? Verse 18, he sat down. He's just had the prophet Nathan speak to him. You could argue he's just had a rebuke. He's just had like, God speak through the prophet Nathan to say, no, David, you're not going to be building a temple. That's not your role. The answer's no. What does he do? He sits down. His posture says it all. He finds a quiet place before God and he sits down. You can imagine that David would have said some kind of a prayer like this, Father, this is David. 
You've blessed me. You've blessed my home and my family. You've brought me from a little shepherd boy to be king of Israel. You've kept me safe. You've given me food. You've given me children. You have blessed me beyond measure. Father, dream or no dream, I am blessed. And in these verses, he so beautifully models to us that he acts in humility. Ten times in the verses that I've just read, David refers to himself as your servant. That's the reference point he gives himself. He's very clear. David's very clear that he stands before God as God's servant. Listen, it's not easy when our plans get turned down. It's not easy when God says no. And how we handle those disappointments, it reveals the, the true place that God is in our hearts. David acted humbly. He submitted his plan to God. And then he, he declares God's greatness. It's not just that he says, oh, I am your servant. I sit down and I know that my posture is that you are Lord and you are great. Verse 22, he declares God's greatness. He goes on to recall the, the great deeds of God. He is very present, mad. He fills his mind, he fills his heart with truth. You can, almost, you can almost read between the lines what David's doing. He's like, okay, I'm not going to build the temple. I'm a bit disappointed, but it actually doesn't matter because, wow, look at who the Lord is. He is great. He is mighty. Look what he has done for me. I remember his greatness. I remember his power. He has taken the Israelites out of Egypt. He has won every battle. Lord, the testimony of my life is great and mighty. So I choose to remember the greatness of God. He, he's reminding himself of the truth. And then the final thing he does is he embraces God's way. In the face of a conflicting agenda, David does not try to force his plan. He does not start building the temple. I mean, let's be honest here. There are times when God has said no to something that we've wanted to do, and we proceed anyway. Because we think that our idea is better than God's idea. God says no, but we plow on anyway. Okay, God said no, got that loud and clear, but I think it's the right thing to do. So I'm off and I'm going to do it. So many of us, so many different times, that's the reality of how we behave. And then we get angry and we get annoyed when things don't turn out the way we want them to. But David, in this instance, David realigns his plans with God's, and he embraces God's plan. David says, Lord, thy will be done. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had a conversation with his heavenly father. And Jesus said to his heavenly father, there must be another way. I don't want to go to the cross. There must be another way. 
There must be a way that we can still achieve the plan, but it doesn't involve all that pain and all that suffering. And God says, no, there isn't another way. The way is to the cross. And Jesus' response is, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus goes to the cross. And interestingly, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He says, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not my will. Not my good ideas be done. But your will be done. And listen, when we exchange our plans for God's plans, then blessings will flow. And, and here's, I want you to listen really carefully to this. I think this is so important. Here's the thing. So often we come to God with our hands so full of dreams and ideas and plans that we have. We say to God, I've got this great plan. I've got this great idea. I've got this great ministry. I've got this great thing that I think I should be doing, that my family should be doing, that we should all be doing. We come to God with all these plans. But the problem is, we have our hands so full of our own plans that it stops God from pouring his riches, his blessings, and his power, and his plans into our lives. Because we're so caught up with our own plans. Listen to this poem that I found this week. It captures this beautifully. One by one, God took them from me. All the things I valued most until I was empty-handed. Every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highways grieving in my rags and poverty till I heard his voice inviting, lift those empty hands to me. So I held my hands towards heaven, and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. Let me ask you a question. Are you clinging to plans and dreams that are just good ideas? Plans and dreams that are your ideas, good ideas, but not God's ideas. Sometimes God says no. We're to drop our plans. 
We're to drop our dreams and lift our empty hands to heaven. Because God has got something better for us. So let me bring this into land. David in this chapter is a brilliant example for us. Sometimes we learn from his mistakes as we have been over the last few weeks. Sometimes we learn from his example. In this case, we're to learn from his example. God sometimes says no. Why? God has got better plans for us. We are not all called to build temples. So what will your response be? Because if you're a Christian for any period of time, this will happen to you. God will say no. What will your response be? Well, my prayer, my heart today is that we would lift up empty hands to God and receive God's plans and God's dreams and God's prompts and God's riches and God's blessings for what he has for us. Band, if you could come up ready. We're going we're gonna to worship. We're going to respond. And I really feel that today, the response time, the worship time, 